nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Kareem Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast. It is Thursday. It is your mailbag edition with myself, Kian Sobani, and Lucas Navarrete. Lucas, how you doing? Hello, Kian. South Thursday with with all the injuries and all the rain in Valencia. It hasn't stopped in a week. Uh, I, I uh, Obviously, with the time difference, I saw the news much later than you did because um, you're in Spain. But I I woke up to two pieces on Managing Madrid today. Um the obviously the Hazard injury and then the Marcelo injury and the Bale injury obviously is the third one which uh he's yeah. not going to miss Classico but it's uh every, it's kind of was just like the icing on the cake in terms of putting a dagger in our sadness and for me personally I had just written that big Hazard article of like how yeah. good the team ceiling is with him how how exciting it is like to have him on the pitch in the Classico because that's a player obviously he didn't have last season because Pete Hazard is so good, and then it's just like a sucker punch, because I think we all thought he was going to be back, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, even the club uh, admitted that he was just probably going to need or take 10 days off and, you know, to to let the pain go away by itself, given that it was just a condition and all that. But, you know, the second, the second test the club did on him, since he had a lot of pain, still revealed that he had this small fracture, and he'll probably miss a month or so. He'll probably miss the Super Cup as well. Yeah, which I don't care too much about. But like, no, what a roller coaster, though, right? Because after the PSG game, first of all, you watch him off the get off the field, and it's it's laborious. Like he he's having a very difficult time mm-hmm. walking. Um, and then Zidane says in the post game presser that he went straight to the hospital and he was he was discouraged by what he what he had heard. And then like the night of or slash the morning after, it was a bit more optimistic than we initially thought. It turns out after the twist this morning that it's cl- much closer than what we initially feared when we saw him kind of limp off the off the field. Um, and now, as you said, we're looking at January now. So obviously, and, and the two games that matter the most are Valencia and Barcelona. Everything outside of that, I think the team will, will survive. Um, but yeah, those two games are, are so tough. So uh, we're going we're gonna to bring that discussion forward because there's questions about how we juggle the lineups in the next four games. And I know we've discussed them on previous podcasts, but now with these three injuries, um, things change and the discussion just, just changes, unfortunately. So... First patient question is from Sheikh Atiri. And by the way, if you want to get your questions in, you want guaranteed responses to your questions, you have to go to patreon.com slash managingmadrid pledge and you get different words based on your pledge. And not only do you get to ask questions, but also get access to bonus shows, post-game shows that are only for patrons. And this Tuesday, uh, we recorded a huge podcast for patrons from multiple multiple diff- different contributors um, where we talked about Castilla um, the players on loan and uh, Ballon d'Or and other things. All right, Lucas, first question from Shea. Uh, this team is reminding me of the 2017-2018 season when you knew goals would come. The whole team looks really comfortable no matter who starts, 
As for El Clasico, I am annoyed that we are traveling to Barcelona and we still get one less day of rest than Barca. I'm one of those. I'm not one of those conspiracy theorists who thinks that federations are there to get us, but it is really short-sighted. For the game, would you start Rodrigo on the right, Isco or Bale? Isco is looking really good since he's coming back, but I still think that Rodrigo should get some starting time before El Clasico to be in form and synced for the game. But I'm really excited about the game, and I think we could pull off a win, especially if we keep the streak going on and Barca loses points tomorrow uh, and maybe in one more game to have the morale down. If you're confused about like the, the question in Barca playing tomorrow, it's because this question actually came in on Saturday after we finished our post-game right. show, and I forgot to bring it forward. But... Um, the right side, obviously, Lucas, a, a point of discussion all season. What are, you, what are you looking at out of those names? Well, I think if Bale is healthy, he'll probably start even even more now than that Rodrigo could play on his favorite left side of the field. I'm, I'm optimistic about seeing Rodrigo playing there, even though, of course, the main question remains Vinicius and whether he'll be allowed to get more minutes now that 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 Hazard will not be available in in one month or so, but I I'm equally excited about seeing Rodrigo on that left wing. So I I think he'll probably go to with Rodrigo and and Bale starting and probably switching positions often during the game and all that depending on on the coverage Barca throw at them and all that. But I think Rodrigo and Bale will start on the flanks. I also would I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Rodrigo start in Clasico at all and um. The Bale thing, like it's weird because when you look at the timeline for his injury, he should be back for the Valencia game because he should really, in theory, only yeah. miss the next week or so. And luckily, the next week or so, the games are uh, consists of Espanol and Club Bruges, two relatively straightforward games, and one of them obviously less yeah. important than the other. But I think, Lucas, the problem with Bale is, and what I think is the frustrating part, is that uh, Bale can take time to get into his rhythm after he comes back from injury. And I think the frustrating thing is that if you if you zoom out and look at his injury track record, there's it's a very common cycle, and that is injury, he's back, struggles a little bit, gets into rhythm, and then looks good, and then by the time his rhythm is there, he gets the cycle repeats itself. Yeah. And so what version of Bale we see in Classico if he plays is unknown i mean he, he could be rusty but also we could he does historically play well in the camp now obviously he scored there last season he scored there mm-hmm. was it last season he scored there now i'm getting it mixed up mm, no it couldn't have been no last i don't season. think last season no, the, the previous one yeah 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 last season was the five one um the the previous one he scored and then um obviously he had well a it was disallowed wasn't it well anyway yeah one of them counted i think the most recent one counted but he's also had two disallowed goals there um one of them yeah. for being too strong, but uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> leaping over Jordi Alba. But you know, it's it's a it's a d- difficult one to juggle, and uh, and now the Clasico is is a bit more difficult. Um, more more questions coming about rotations and the upcoming schedule. Patrick Odayafadi says, "Hi, Kian and Lucas. I hope you're both well. Could you do a combined eleven between Real Madrid and Barcelona right now, as objective as you can? Let's assume every player is fit and playing somewhat close to their best levels." Mine is Ter Stegen, Carvajal, Ramos, Longley, Jordi Alba, Casemiro, De Jong, Kroos, Hazard, Benzema, and Messi. For me, I had a hard time with the back line. You could make a case for both center backs uh, from Barca and Madrid. Left back was tricky as well. I'm interested to see who you guys put in. 
Well, I got Ter Stegen, Carvajal, I got Pique and Ramos, not Lenglet. I think Pique, when he's at his peak, is definitely a better player than than Lenglet. And he's, he's right there with Baran probably when Baran is at his peak. But the thing is, Baran has been consistently good, but not at his peak for a while, I think. So I got Pique there, even though it's, as he says, it's a little bit tricky to, to choose between center backs there. I got Marcelo on the left, no doubt. When he's when he at his peak, he's clearly a better player than Jordi Alba and one of the best left backs in the history of football, in my opinion. I also got Casemiro de Jong and Cross in the midfield, just because even though De Jong, we've probably not seen enough from him to you know to ground in him that kind of spot ahead of Modric, maybe. But he definitely is a, a brilliant prospect, and I think he'll he'll probably be one of the one of the best midfielders in European football for a while. And offensively, I also got Hazard and Messi and, and Benzema, even though obviously Griezmann and Benzema could be battling there, but I, I still have to put Benzema ahead for that team, yeah. Well, if you, if you, uh, if you check the, the, the voting for the Ballon d'Or, you'll realize that Griezmann is the second best player in the world, according to Sri Lankan journalists. So uh, it's not That's crazy ridiculous. to have Griezmann there. <laughs> no, it's just ridiculous in my opinion. <laughs> Um, I I went for um, form rather than peak. So in terms of who's had the best season, uh, that's the route I went. So if you talked about peak, I didn't. I I talked more about like who's in form. All right. Um, and and it was still difficult. Actually, I found um, Ter Stegen is obviously a lock. Ramos and Varane are the two I went with. Although I I think you could you could switch out Ramos's partner if you wanted to. I don't think PK's had a good season at all. Although he looked. You look pretty good against Atletia, if you ask me. But uh, and Longley's actually. No, if you been go with too. form, yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah, you go um, with form, yeah. Carvajal right back. Um, I went with Alba, which makes no sense if we're talking about form because Alba hasn't played at all this season because of his injuries. But if you look at the calendar year of 2019, um, he essentially has been so good since Neymar left. Um, I went Casemiro, De Jong, and Kroos. Is that who you had in midfield too? Yeah. 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 Um. I think De Jong has been one of the bright spots for Barca this season. Individually, he's been good after a slow start. Although you could argue, I don't know how we would fit alongside Casemiro. He probably should be the defensive midfielder by himself. But just based on form, I don't think you can drop Casemiro, who's yeah. been really good this season. Um, and yeah. the front three, it's easy. Messi, Hazard, Benzema. Um, yeah. Those are the three best right now. So, um, yeah. The- it only changes for Marcelo and Alba if you consider form or or peak. So yeah, that was the only difference we had, right? Pretty much it. Well, no, we have Piqué and you have Baran, oh, but yeah. again, again, if we consider form, it's probably Baran ahead of Piqué or even Lenglet ahead of Piqué as well. But if we consider peak, I think Piqué, peak Piqué is very good. Uh, Vasco. Torchevsky says, hey guys, the subject of Zidane juggling with the system and then in the next hectic period of games was touched on the last podcast. What do you think about actually going with the 3-5-2 against Valencia? I think it's doable as we have three world-class central defenders and the perfect fullbacks in Carvajal and Marcelo for the system. Obviously, this question came in before Marcelo got injured. Um, Vasco continues to say, plus it can easily morph into a 4-4-2 on defense with one of the center backs moving higher up the field and taking a defensive midfield role. This would also, in my opinion, limit Valencia's offensive potential, which we know always turns into beast mode when they play against Real Madrid. The added bonus is that it would help keep Casemiro rested and out of danger from suspension from El Clasico. 
who I want to add, if we'd actually lost him, would be catastrophic for us. I agree. It would be interesting to at least try that system, but I don't think the game in Mestalla is the the perfect scenario to try that 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 three five two he mentions. First of all, I don't think that the roster, the current roster, is built for that system. You have to think that Real Madrid have four center backs on the roster, and if you use three of them, you you soon run out of uh, center backs if one of them gets injured or anything like that. Uh, second of all, I just think that Valencia always plays so well when they host Real Madrid that you don't you need to go with with what's working. And right now, the Real Madrid's core system in, is getting the job done, and they need to to go through the motions and all that. So I just think that uh, Zidane needs to start his his strongest uh, available lineup right now which is the 4-3-3 maybe 4-4-2 if Isco is there but you know it's, it's pretty much the same system so I don't think you need to to try and do some experiments when you're visiting Valencia at all I don't think so either I mean but that doesn't mean Zidane will have that option off the table but I think the 3-5-2 obviously as Vasco alludes to you can't you only do it if Casemiro doesn't play because if you have mm-hmm. Because because we know Militao can um, can play. I mean, limited sample size, but he can play as a defensive midfielder. But in a three five two with him there, it makes sense. But if you have Ramos, Varane, Militao, and Casemiro in the lineup, then forget about essentially creating anything. Um, <laughs> and it's going to be a really ugly game at the Mestalla in that situation. But um, I don't think Zidane will rest Casemiro before the Barca game against Valencia. I think I think he'll just risk it to be honest. I can't yeah, I yeah, think he's I too important. I think you just roll the dice and hope that he survives both somehow. That's that's how I feel. I don't think he'll start against Espanyol. Maybe he'll rest that game no. and you know probably the one against against Bruce as well since you know that that game is pretty much useless. But definitely if Real Madrid want to get the three points and at least increase their odds at at a victory, I think Casemiro needs to start at Mestalla and just hope that he doesn't get a yellow card or anything, which will be tough because the atmosphere at the Mestalla is always very, very, very intense when Real Madrid are visiting. Yeah. I mean, really, all you need is for him to avoid the yellow against Mestalla, in, in, in the Mestalla. And then whatever happens in Barca, then, you know, it happens and the yellow card carries over for the next game. Um, yeah, but it's very, it's very tough because Valencia play counter-attacking football and, you know, the crowd yeah. will be into it as soon as he makes his first foul and all that. <laughs> so we know that... <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It's on the. T- it's yeah. gonna be tough to it's survive a risk. that game. It's a risk. Yellow. It's a risk, but I just think that game is too important and easily overlooked a little bit because of Barcelona the next oh, yeah. three days. But I, I don't know. How, I, it's three points. It's it's in a very. It's the same as El Clasico. It's just three points. That's true. That's true. And I and I, I people may think I'm crazy for saying this, but I don't think it's that much easier than the Camp Nou. It's historically speaking, it's Mestalla is insanely tough for us. Um, I agree. Eric Nadasi says, Hey guys, I hope you had a nice holiday. Um, I want to ask this while it's still somewhat relevant. The boos and the jeers directed at Bale, while I think they were somewhat merited, made me think of how insane it is that Ronaldo was booed at the Bernabeu. At what time, at what times was Ronaldo whistled by the Bernabeu? And could you provide context of what caused the unrest and general state of the team? Well, the, the biggest whistles and years he he got was was when when he said after the game against Granada that he was unhappy. 
I think it was because he kind of wanted a, a new contract, something like that. He he went after that game and said that he was unhappy and settled. And the next time he got whistled, he also got whistles a, a few more times after missing, you know, a, a key, some key chances or anything like that after, you know, when he was in bad form. But it wasn't as big as, as in that occasion, which was caused by him saying that, that, it was, that he wasn't settled at the club. More than Ronaldo, who, you know, sometimes makes some controversial quotes and all that, even though as great as uh, a player as he is, you need to remember that Zidane, who is, you know, pure class, <laughs> he also got whistled during his first months at the Bernabeu. So it's yeah. just kind of a tradition, really. It's, it, 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 it sucks, obviously, to have players as good as Zidane and Ronaldo whistled by, by your home fans and all that. But, you know, it, it's not going to change, probably. I just remember when Zidane first signed in those first couple of months, there were even before he stepped on the pitch, there were questions about like how how do you fit him and Figo together? Like who do you drop? It's an imbalanced yeah. team. And and if you look back on the season actually, that first season, there were so many games that McAlilly was literally the only defensive or, or central midfielder in the team. Sometimes you had a diamond, sometimes you had Zidane Figo and McManaman or Zidane Figo and Solari. And um Mac- that to me that's what makes McAlilly's season so much more impressive because he was essentially alone trying to covering for trying to cover for an old hierro and a Helguera out of position. But um Raul also, like towards the end of his Real Madrid career where he really declined was was hearing it. And I the Ronaldo thing it it just dawned on me on how much he actually was whistled because I went back and looked at it and I could add three more instances on, on top of what you just mentioned for at least five separate really? occasions. Because there was 2016 against uh, athletic club at home where um, he was he, he had some really he was classic like in his decision making where like he he decided not to pass it to Alvaro Morata and Tony Cruz for a wide open for open net and he shot it and he missed he got whistled there um, and then a couple other times in that game because he just was not was not scoring and then there was Real Sociedad uh, I believe the season after 2017. Um, in that season, twice he was good. Once against Real Sociedad and once against Bayern Munich in the Champions League where he actually scored five goals. And the reason was because like before he started scoring in that game, I don't know if you remember, Lucas, I'm sure you do. Ronaldo in those last few years at Real Madrid took like half a season to really get going. So like his first, yeah. before Christmas, he, he wasn't playing well. And then he would make up for it in the springtime when he would go into uh, yeah. this crazy mode. And as like the entire team, really. But um, so he was, the the fans had seen the first half of the season, they were booing him. And then uh, and then in that, in that Bayern game where Ramjo were close to getting knocked out, um, he scored a bunch of goals and then the crowd started going crazy again. But so like there's like always this, this I wouldn't say love hate, but this this roller coaster of emotions at that stadium that you know people they they point out everything, the good and the bad, and that's just the way it is. And so that, that's the best context I think we can give. Yeah, let me say that even though Cristiano Ronaldo and Zidane and Raúl and even Casillas got whistles and all that, definitely not as loud as Bales. No, I no, think... Bales was the loudest ever, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I also think, like, you know, like, sometimes, like, when you, you can notice this a bit more when you're actually at the stadium, but when, for example, Ronaldo gets booed, this is an example, 
the people start whistling and then there's always a contingent who stand up and applaud to, to kind of drown it out or balance it. But with Bale, what was unique about it is that unanimously, like from yep. the first person in that stadium to the 80, 80,000th person in the stadium, we're all on the same page. And that's that's what made it so unique. And it was like, it was that. Yeah. So you're right. It was it was the loudest. To me, it was the, it was a bit different, even though, you know, the, obviously it was whistles in both times, but... I can say that with with players like Ronaldo, Raul, Casillas, Zidane and all that, those whistles probably meant like frustration maybe. And with Bale, it was just anger in yeah, my opinion. Hate. Yeah, hate it was hate. Yeah, hate and anger. anger. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mehdi Bakhshi says, considering Hazard's previous injury took him two months to recover his form, do you think he will be get back, get back into his good form before El Clasico? <laughs> Again, like so many of these questions came in before, obviously the news today. So, but the rest of the question is very relevant. Uh, Mehdi says, if not, do you think Zidane will still put him in the starting lineup? And if he doesn't, what's your best guess for his replacement? We'll bring that forward in a second. Um, Mehdi, Mehdi's kind of main part of the question says, uh, how do you feel about Barca getting results when playing so poorly? Last example was versus Atleti when they should have lost or tied at best, but they came out with a victory thanks to Messi's magic. Do you think this can continue for the rest of the season until a Champions League night in Rome or Liverpool happens, or do you predict an eventual drop of points in La Liga as well? Well, this second this this second part of the question, I think it's it's just how Barcelona are getting the job done for the last years in La Liga. I think they struggle. They struggle in Leganes. They struggle at the Wanda Metropolitano and all that. But they still find a way through and get the win. And that's what's, what's given them so many Liga titles uh, in, in in the last decade. So I don't, just based on the statistics, I don't predict them dropping many points this season, even though when they're struggling, of course, they'll drop some and hit some here and there. But I just think that Messi is pretty much good enough to to carry them to to victory in 80 80 of the games they struggle in yeah unless messi gets injured again um i don't i don't see them dropping points although like having said that during messi's injury earlier this season where they actually mathematically suffered their worst start um in la liga in like 25 years and they were still first place by the end of it was Griezmann actually like his best stretch of performances this season was when Messi was injured and he was kind of able to play the Messi role that there was that big win over Real Betis where Griezmann was awesome so like they might be able to like have Davian survive those those uh, Messi injuries in the league but like I remember Lucas this was last season this was the entire discussion every week it was like oh how did Barca play this weekend awful what was the result they won Every week we were waiting. Hey, at some point, someone punishes them, right? Like, who can anyone punish this team? It wasn't Real Madrid. It wasn't Atleti. It wasn't Valencia. It wasn't Sevilla. <clears throat> Eventually, it turned out that like Jurgen Klopp was like enough of this, and then and ended them in a in. But let's remember that first half, Liverpool got absolutely destroyed too. And yep. Uh, I but I but I will say this. I think this year that. If it wasn't already last year, it is for sure in their head now that they, the mental barrier in the Champions League away game is going to be is going to be at some point. They have to get over it, and I mean, I hope they don't. But I'm like from their perspective, and I'm sure you watched that video now that got le- that uh, that Barcelona themselves put out of Alba crying at halftime yeah. in the locker room when they were ahead on aggregate. I think they were only down one nothing at halftime. They were ahead, and that was the mentality of the whole team. Um. 
so like it's in their head now in the Champions League, but I don't know. I don't know if they drop points in the league unless it comes from us punishing them now. And you know, and and we'll wait to see. I think it's interesting, Lucas, because I felt really. Um, I was almost laughing after that Athletic game because we were all like, Om and I were talking in Slack, like, it the Barca goal is coming, Messi goal is coming. Uh, we were just laughing about it, but then yeah. it actually like, happened within like seconds of us texting back and forth. And uh, but then when you go back and you actually look at the game, actually, like I think Barca like played better than I initially thought. When you look back and you like, they had the, they had the better chances because they had. They had uh, Rakitic, great chance in the box. They had Griezmann, who had a volley in the box in the second half. He should have just taken a touch and scored it, but he didn't. And um, Atleti, they kind of just figured out Atleti's press in the second half, and Messi played better, and PK played better, and they and they figured it out. And it's funny, I sometimes go back and I watch the Liverpool 4 nothing win, just out of like, if I'm having a bad day, <laughs> I'll just throw that on to put a smile on my face, and, just, and I look at... First, I'll, I'll, I'll watch like Alba's reaction to the fourth goal, and then I'll rewind it, and I'll watch like PK's reaction, and then Messi's reaction, just like out of sheer. <laughs> enjoy. But then it always it always amazes me that I forget in that game Barca should have been up like by two goals in the first half, and they missed two great chances, and like that's mm. you know they were so close to actually just ending that in the first half, and they didn't. And I think like I don't know this season, I feel kind of the same in that it's like one or two goals here and there away from them collapsing or not and uh yeah yeah anyway they always survive so so great chances from their from their opposition because yeah. even though i agree with you and barca maybe deserved the win at the wanda at least a draw for sure the biggest chance in the game was morata's header saved by ter stegen so and the, they the survived it kick, yeah there was also yeah, the, the so. hermoso one at the far post was even was even a bigger chance the one that jao felix yeah. passed yeah, so it's like they always find a way to survive, and that's what makes them makes them so reliable and so good in La Liga. And that's why Real Madrid just can't afford to to drop points at home against mediocre teams and all that. Last we like we saw in the in the first half of the season, because we knew that Barcelona were were sooner or later going to to you know to get a winning streak going and just win six or seven straight games and all that without losing points so we uh, that's what i that's why i said that real madrid should have been with an advantage with a bigger advantage in in la liga after the first few barca yeah uh, games dropping points and all that that's yeah. why i was a little bit disappointed yeah i also like the ter stegen is basic basically messy of goalkeepers and the fact that they have both messi and ter stegen makes such a massive difference and i sometimes i just when a goalkeeper like that comes along, you remember how much of a difference a goalkeeper like that can make. Like that's completely transcendent like that. I remember we had that with Casillas. Um, mm-hmm. There was like that period of time where we had Casillas and OG Ronaldo. Ronaldo would score, Casillas would save, and then there was nothing in between. And um, Om asked me the question on Slack and it got me thinking. Like he asked if Real Madrid had Ter Stegen, would they win the league? Uh, and I was like, actually... I think it makes that much of a difference. I don't. I don't know what you think. I'm not sure because I think that Real Madrid, when they're dropping points, it's just because they're not scoring and they're not creating enough chances and all that. I think it's different. Barcelona always find a way to escape big chances from the opposition, but I, I feel maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. It's not based on on, on truth or any statistics or data. But I just feel that. 
you know, Real Madrid, when they drop points, it's because lack of offense. And while Barcelona, when they drop points, it's just because Ter Stegen is not doing magic on, on, on the goalkeeper. I think it's different in that sense. Maybe it's just my feeling. No, I, and I think I always say like there's something, there's this intangible thing against Barcelona when opponents play against them that there's something psychological at play at play that makes them miss chances, makes them make mistakes. Um, yeah. And uh, and part of that is honestly we should just give Barcelona credit for imposing that psychological what warfare on them. Um, I don't know what it is, what kind of voodoo it is, but uh, this is like for years. You can go take it back to the Guardiola days, even in terms of like things they would get away with. Um, they, there is this psychological thing against them, I think. Um, Definitely. All right, lineups, upcoming schedule. Brennan Power says, "What would be your guys' starting lineups for the next four games? Espanol, Bruges, Valencia, and Barca." For Espanol, I got the best. For Espanol and Valencia, I've got the best available lineup. And for Bruce, I just got Courtois, Odriozola, Militao, Nacho, Mendy, Valverde, Isco, Vinicius, Rodrigo, Mariano, and Jovic. O sea, I mean, in Bruce, I, I just, that game, you just have to throw it away. It's, it's, it doesn't matter. Even, you know, there's not uh, like the the pride of the club at stake or anything like that. You, you just have to think about the game in Mestalla. It's just much more important than the one in Bruges. So uh, against Espanol and Valencia, I'll just go with the best available lineup, which is, I think, Casemiro, Valverde and Cross in the midfield. Obviously, the defensive line is, is, is pretty much a knock right now that Marcelo is injured. And the same happens with the offensive line, even though I still think that Vinicius might get a shot maybe against Espanol so that, you know, he builds some confidence and all that just to be maybe a threat of the bench at the cup. I don't know. Yeah, um, that the Espanol and Valencia game are, are be, I believe, are one week apart, right? Yep. That's yep. A, that's enough. T- it's enough time with rest in between to feel your starting eleven in both, assuming that you basically play no one yep. in Bruges, um, apart exactly. from the backup team, which would be more, I'd be more than okay with. Um, I it's funny I I've been so critical of Espanol that that's such like the, one of the easiest games in the calendar because they've been so bad this season and they they just also lost. Uh, 4-2 at home and uh, they're they're an entire mess apart from one or two players that maybe I'm starting to think like maybe now this is a trap game it's a banana peel for some reason like Espanol turn a gear I don't know what happens some something freakish happens but for the most part that's an easy game um, the only one I would look at resting for that is Casemiro I think um, just for the yellow card factor could you and and like we we've been we've been asking ourselves a question for like for so long like what does this team look like with Casemiro? We don't really have an answer, and I think like of all games to play, that might be the one anyway because you're almost forced to like preserve him a little bit. See what happens if you put if you kind of pack the midfield, put Fede there along with Kroos, Modric, and Isco. I don't know something. I think I think you could get away with hard Casemiro in that game. Uh, I would I would be tempted to start uh, Jovic as well, so that he gets two consecutive games in the uh, as a starter in the, in the offensive line. But the game against Espanol is that one, as you said, as you mentioned, it's a little bit of a trap game in the sense that if you reach the 60th minute, you know, without score, still scoreless draw by the 60th minute or so, maybe that's the kind of game that Real Madrid get anxious, Real Madrid try to rush things, and they end up <laughs> uh, getting a, a very surprising draw. So even though I would be tempted to, to give Jovic the start against Espanol, I think it will be safer to to start Benzema, given that, as we always mention, that he gets every FIFA break 
to to get some rest and get his his legs fresh and all that, so that he could probably rest in in Bruges and that'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Sergio Arispe says Hi Kian and Lucas With the next couple of matches being a bit on the lighter side Espanyol and Bruges Zidane is likely to rest some players and play the B team As it has been called <laughs> What in your opinion would these fringe players Have to do or show on the pitch To convince Zidane that they deserve to be in the starting lineup Or at least be integrated into the rotation More often I'm sure Zidane sees things we don't In training behind closed doors but a great performance should still have some impact on its decision-making. Once again, thank you both for the amazing work. Keeps me visiting Managing Madrid website on a daily basis. Thank you, Sergio. Okay, so essentially what do these players have to do? And at some point, they need to be able to have the chance to prove their worth on the pitch. I think consistency, work rate will be crucial as well, especially for the right winger maybe. But it's going to be tough for them to to crack the starting lineup. Now that Madrid have been consistently good for uh, for quite a while. But still obviously uh, as I wrote this week it'll be it'll be great to see more minutes from from these young players and I think work rate and you know consistency in finishing plays and all that would be crucial for players like Brahim, Jovic and all that to get, you know, to get the minutes they want and need. I do think, like, for the most part, I think you know who the best 11 is. Uh, I think there are a few spots for grabs that I'm still unsure of yet. One of them being, like, you know, who takes that um, third attacking role? Is it is it someone like Bela Rodrigo or is it someone like Isco um, who who changes yeah. the complexion of the game completely? Those, those, those spots are still up for grabs. I think this is... We can look at the left back situation now with Marcelo being out and being like, this really is a huge stretch for Mendy. And God forbid anything happens to him because I that that would be a disaster because he's been really good this season. But this is a huge stretch for Mendy um, <clears throat> against against uh, a Valencia and Barcelona team were obviously very difficult to play against, and he might come out of this as like a huge huge winner in this in the sense that like, um, well, yeah. I would I would look at him. Because if I I remember if I remember someone asked if like I would have put Marcelo or Mendy when the Classic was supposed to be played in November, and I would have put Mendy there just based on like his defensive security and what he can do. I know many people disagree because they value Marcelo's ability to create in the final third, and that's fine. But um, that I think that, I think that I have a lot of uh, interest in just seeing how he's going to do in that game. Yeah, it'll be it'll be very interesting because I think, as you mentioned, that this could be the time which defines Mendy's career in Real Madrid. I mean, if he fails like big, it'll be tough for him to to be Marcelo's long-term replacement because they'll always say, you know, he failed against Barcelona, he failed against Valencia, Real Madrid pretty much lost uh, La Liga because of his mistakes and all that. That's obviously if he, if he fails big, but on the other hand, obviously, if he performed well, well and all that, I think it will be hard for for Zidane to keep him of the of the starting lineup because I think his his skill set uh, gives Real Madrid a lot of consistency defensively. So it will be interesting to to watch Mendy. I I have trust in him. I think he'll do well. Yeah, I think and I think like he can. I think he's a bit underrated offensively too. Like he's a good ball carrier. He's not a good. He's not like a dribbler like Marcelo. Obviously, he can't he can't cross like Marcelo either. Marcelo is an amazing crosser of the ball. Yeah, 
Um, but he's he's not he's not like useless either. He's not like a black hole offensively. He he's capable, like very much like Sergio Regulon, who was like when with Real Madrid was actually yeah. underrated offensively, and now he's under Lopetegui. He's great, but um, he's not bad. Yeah, offensively luckily either. enough for him. Yeah, luckily enough for him. I think that these games are just perfect for Mendy. The, the one in in Valencia and Barcelona are just perfect for him because you need intensity, you need left backs who track back and and stop counter attacks and all that. So I think these games are perfect for him. I, it's not that Real Madrid need a huge offense, offensive creator through, from the from the left back spot. So I think these are very good games for his for his skill set. Yeah. Essa Hariri says, how do you think Martin Odegaard will fit in Real Madrid? The thing is, he is the focal point of his team. But in Madrid, playing with three other world-class playmakers like Hazard, Isco, Kuros, etc. will be challenging. He's used, to being, he's used to bringing so much chaos in attack and being the one carrying the team with one or two passes. But he can't do that in Madrid. His role will be diminished and less chaotic to avoid loss of possession. <clears throat> and where will he play? The midfield or right winger? Um, so <clears throat> Matt and I actually talked about this a little bit, Lucas. Yeah. Not necessarily like his, his less, his more diminished role, but like if you were to parachute him in this current Real Madrid team, where would he play? And, uh, right wing or midfield or whatever. And I, and I think Matt and I kind of just thought like he would basically be perfect in that Isco role in the diamond where you could get him to roam. He doesn't necessarily have to be the main guy, but if he's a guy just... Actually, I think in in some ways it might benefit him not having so much on his shoulders to carry and having the ability to like keep possession with players like Kroos and, and others. It may actually benefit him even more. And if he's roaming kind of like the way Isco does, I think that's a good role for him because he's not, he's not a traditional right winger, not, nor is he a pure central midfielder. He's kind of like a hybrid. And I don't like comparing this... Uh, making this comparison because of the name alone that I'm comparing him to, which is Lionel Messi. But just from a stylistic standpoint, basically kind of the way Messi starts on the right, goes in the middle, drops deep. He he does all of that and while while not sacrificing his offensive numbers. So I think that's kind of the role you would play him in. And I think he'd be okay with not having as much on his shoulders. But I, I don't know. It remains to be seen to see how he would, he would coexist in an ecosystem like that. Yeah, the thing about Odegaard with and his future position and all that, I just maybe it's just my personal preference, but I always like for attacking at least kind of slow attacking midfielders like Isco was, like Cross was, to do that transition to the central midfield spot. I think in order to be really transcendent, they need to dominate the game from the from the center of the midfield and. As you know, the, the two players I mentioned, Cross did it perfectly, and I think Isco's best years in Real Madrid have been with Ancelotti when he played central midfield as well. So, I even though obviously right now he would probably start on the right wing, as we mentioned, maybe just because that's Real Madrid's weakest point right now, especially after Valverde's performances of late. I just think that Oligard, in order to reach his full potential and you know the the whole dominance from him we can we can see I I I'd rather see him in the midfield rather than as an attacking midfielder just because I want to see more consistency from from players and I, I I'm just not in love with attacking midfielders as a as a position you know I I just don't know how that position can, can be as relevant in 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 current football I I just like more of a central midfielder than attacking midfielders he has a certain versatility that I think I think it's not it's I don't think you're going to be chained to one thing necessarily and um, 
if you're alluding to like you know the number ten role dying, I still think like exactly. <clears throat> those players will exist, but just in different forms. Um, and uh, um, I just his versatility, I think, is is going to be an asset. And and you know, I I don't I don't think he necessarily has to 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 exist as like a ten or whatever, but he can. You can kind of like if you make another comparison, like David Silva or Bernard Silva, who can play multiple positions. And if you're not going to put them as a free roaming ten, they can just play from the right and connect. They can they can make runs. They can make runs off the ball. And and I think he'll be fine. Um, do you, do you think he can make that kind of transition to to be like Modric's long term replacement though? Modric is one I always had difficulty comparing him to because Modric was. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I. I have this. My. My. My assessment of Modric, like his like peak Modric from sixteen, seventeen, or even the year after, and definitely like leading up to the World Cup and stuff. Like he was in so many different places at once that it's just it's hard for me to make that comparison with anyone. In that he was a right back. He was. He was sometimes mm-hmm. a right forward. He was. He was a central midfielder. He was a defense midfielder. All in the same game, he was doing everything and. And I think, and 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 also when I spoke to Odegaard's former coach at Strums, Strums said he was saying like, um, you he's the type of player you want to conserve his energy a little bit and not have him do a bit of everything mm. and 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 have him be able to be incisive on the counter attack and get the ball in positions high up the field and and things like that. And uh, I just think they're different players, and I think that's okay. And I think. But I'm not. I'm not saying that he can't do all those things. But he. I don't. I don't know if you want to use him in that role. Is my point. And I think if you have all him right. a little bit more, I guess unchanged. And that. That's why I kind of like the idea of an Isco role for him because, um, that PSG game and I watched it again and then I, I was watching kind of Isco just play without the ball and it's like, it was clear to me that his role was just like make sure that there's always a pass available. So if the ball is on the left side, make a run in that half space, make yourself available. If it's on the right, where Valverde and Carvajal have it, move over, make sure they have a passing outlet. And I think in that role, I think Odegaard would thrive really well um, is, yeah. how, is how I see it. But I'm not sure how Zidane sees Maybe Zidane's evaluation of this is completely different. I don't know. He's so young that you, he can still learn to do so many things differently because Modric didn't do the thing he's doing now, the things he did when he was at his peak. Yeah, that's when true. He didn't do them when he joined the Premier League. So it's, it's still very soon. And I, luckily true. enough for, for Madrid, he can learn a lot of things still. Modric really didn't become that player until he was like almost 30, maybe even later. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Varun says, what will be the possible shortcomings tactically if Zidane applies a 4-4-2 with Benzema and Jovic up front and four midfielders all playing against Espanyol and Club Bruges <clears throat> since Hazard is injured? How do you think this combination works? And please let me know briefly which part of Madrid supports Real and which part supports Atleti. <laughs> uh, briefly main points about our city rivals historically. Okay, let's start with the first one. Zidane implementing 4-4-2 with Benzema and Jovic. While Hazard sits out in the next couple games, yeah, we were all looking forward to some minutes of Benzema and Jovic playing together when you know when the season was about to start. But the I think the only game they played together was against Mallorca, and it wasn't encouraging like at all. Yeah, Real was the other one. Okay, yeah. and Jovic was pretty much a ghost in both games. I think he's better playing by himself, at least you know based on. On evidence we've we've get, we've got so far, but it's obviously something to consider. 
now that Hazard is injured, but I still think that you know, with assuming Bale is available against Valencia, uh, I just think that Real Madrid have enough wingers to to keep their current system going. Especially, you know, maybe even Brahim gets some minutes in Bruce or Espanyol. So I just don't think that Real Madrid need to do that thing right now, even though obviously maybe Zidane will try it again to see if, if it works better now. I also think like, I think it can work in certain games and probably not the big games, more of like, let's say like the Espanyols of the world. Because I remember, and I'm just revisiting that Villarreal game and, and you brought out the Mallorca game too, which was kind of similar issues, but almost also completely different because that whole team was a mess with Isco playing as a defensive midfielder. Um, the Villarreal game, you had Lucas Vasquez and Bale on the wings, Benzema and Jovic up front, and then Casemiro and Kroos in the middle. And... The, the problem with it essentially was that you just could not control possession with a team like that. And when you have Jovic and Benzema, and I remember Zidane after that game had said, the reason why we did it this way and wanted to cross like crazy against Villarreal is because we had scouted that Villarreal do not deal well with crosses. And so we wanted to just just bombard them uh, with Jovic and Benzema in the box and uh, with, with Vasquez crossing... To, to bail out the far post. Turns out Bale scored two both goals in that game and actually played well, but yeah. it wasn't really from, from crosses and stuff that he scored from. It was more from good movement with Carvajal and, and Jovic had a great pass in that game, I remember. But uh, I think I think that's the issue you, you run into uh, with, a, with a system like that. It's that with Jovic, Benzema, and then two wingers and then two central midfielders, you're not going to control the game and influence it the way you did with, I don't know, let's say against PSG, with Isco there in with a bunch of other central midfielders like Valverde and Cruz, or against even like the, the game they dropped points in Valladolid earlier in the season where they had Isco and Hamas together. I think you sacrifice control and you become predictable in your crossing. That's why I don't think you yeah. can do it in big games, but you can probably probably do it in a, in a game against Espanyol, I think. Yeah, there are more more interesting things and exciting things to to try and experiment, like Brahim, like Isco playing again as he did in PSG, than I think trying Jovic and Benzema together again. You were very much uh, you have big flag bearer, Brahim. I know you you were advocating for him that he would be perfect for that last Definitely. game against in in uh, Alaves. Yeah, definitely. I think that you know his creativity and he also his finishing. I think he's he's a better finisher than. I mean, he's a use he, a useful finisher at least that Real Madrid could use. He also dribbles the ball well. He he creates. He he also likes to keep possession and keep things going and you know dominate the tempo of the game and all that. I think he'll he'll be a very useful player. I'm very encouraged by what I saw from him the last weeks in the last month of the season last year. So I obviously Zidane as as one of the of the comments said before Zidane sees things we don't in training sessions and all that and maybe he's, he he just thinks that Brahim isn't ready to contribute but I based on what we saw last season I just think he is I think he will make an impact on this current Real Madrid system. What do you want to say about uh, the differences in, in the fan bases of Atletico and Real Madrid? I just don't think it's, you know, geographically based. Maybe obviously Not geographically little... necessarily, but politically, I think. Well, yeah, politically I'll say that Maybe the the lower classes, you know, the yeah, the the working class and all that supports more Atletico, while maybe the richest part of supports Real Madrid. Obviously, you you find exceptions to that to to this argument, which is just 
a little bit, you know, it's just too general and and too broad in my opinion. But obviously, I think there's a little bit of a tendency of of you know the working class from the from Madrid uh, supporting Atletico more than than Real Madrid. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I I hesitated taking this question because it it requires so much actual detail to break it down and like. To kind of just sum it up in a few words is very difficult and wouldn't do the whole subject justice. But I think like um, there's a whole history behind this, and that's over well over a hundred years old. And it, it you can trace it back to as early as the early 1900s, where essentially anyone who didn't wasn't good enough to play with for Real Madrid would go to Atleti. So there was always this like. Um, chip on chip on their shoulder kind of like club and their fan base and, mm-hmm. you know and and then there's a lot of political political differences historically now i mean maybe not so much and now it's just like you know the whole thing with the mattress makers and um and kind of just the fact that you know they're the less glamorous working class as you said but there's a whole history behind it. i think it's one of those things i would just encourage people to just go and research um and probably if we were good at, we could dedicate a whole podcast to it probably but we won't uh, last question. Elias Talani says, according to the rumors, Fabian Ruiz is close to Real Madrid. Where would Fabian Ruiz fit in Real Madrid and what would he cost? That depends on on obviously the role he then has in store for him. I just think that Fabian right now is more of an attacking midfielder, but again, I think he has definitely the potential to be a, a central midfielder in a 4-3-3, one of the, one of the two central midfielders. So it depends on, uh, on the system and whether Zidane is willing to change it or not. If Obviously, right now, if he doesn't learn a little bit to play a central midfield role, his fit wouldn't be great. Because he he plays behind the striker and all that, even though his work rate is is also like like good, but uh, I think that he definitely has the potential to 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 be a, a central midfielder like you know like Pogba or anything like that with a lot of of work rate. Well, even though Pogba is not a a, a great uh, defensive midfield defensive midfielder, I think Fabian has the potential to to be one of those central midfielders dominating the tempo of the game and all that, even though right now he's an attacking midfielder, yeah. People, I've seen people like just confused about the Fabian link because they're like, well, shouldn't we just develop uh, Fede Valverde and all this? And I think we we keep... Different I, players, yeah. Diff, well, different players, but also like we keep on forgetting and I keep bringing this up like every month or so, like Modric's contract ends this summer and there's been no word of extension yet. And I think if you're planning... To bring in someone like Fabian, you're worried about like where he's going to play. Like I just, I think we're, we might be sooner, we we might be looking at Mordic's replacement sooner than we think. And I think uh, you you, what used to be like a huge depth chart of central midfielders consisting of Ceballos and Kovacic, is uh, those it's two, gone, yeah. those two are gone. I mean Ceballos is is pretty much gone, and uh, and and Modric is on his on his way to moving on just based on age alone and decline. Um, so I think you need some. And, and I, I'm a huge, I'm huge on Fabian Ruiz. I think he's awesome. I think he's really good. I think he's unique, just a unique offensive creator and a very, very lethal shooter from long distance, but also a good a good combination player and a good passer. I think he's really good. So I'm not definitely not against it, but I don't... I don't know how you feel, but I think maybe the Pogba noise eventually dies down, but maybe it doesn't. But whether it's Pogba or Ericsson or Fabian or whoever, 
there's going to be someone, I think, in that ilk coming this summer because of the fact that I, I think they need the depth. Yeah, I agree. I I think one of one of those three, and even adding Van de Vick to the equation, which you know the the latest the latest reports in, in this summer were that you know Real Madrid were just were just having that deal agreed and done, but they just decided to wait one more season. So I think that Real Madrid definitely need one more player there. Whether that's Fabian Pogba, Van de Vick, or or Eriksen. It's a very different discussion because I think, for example, that Van de Beek and Fabian are more comfortable in in the attacking midfield role. Even though I obviously think that Zidane would like them to to do that kind of transition to the central midfielder, whether as Pogba and Eriksen would be perfect for for the current system, given that they they're at their peak, they have both, they're proven at that spot. So. Obviously more expensive, uh, at least Pogba and, and Eriksen, Eriksen in terms of wages. But, you know, Van de Vick and, and Fabian, if you ask me about those two, I, I, I would go with Fabian as well. I think he's more, I think he has the potential to be definitely more, more to do that kind of transition we talked about before, like to, to be a central midfielder more than of an attacking midfielder. I think you have to go with Fabian, even though he'll be expensive, more expensive than, than Van de Vick at this point. Um, all right, so that brings us to our last question of the mailbag. Uh, we're doing this every Thursday, so if you want to get in your questions for next Thursday, you have time, go over to patreon.com slash managermadrid. It is a free show, but if you want to get access to questions and responses, go over there and get access. Um, Lucas, this was fun, my friend. Until next time. Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. Before we wrap it up, just wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managermadrid. And I can't emphasize this enough. If you want access to bonus shows a ton of bonus content including this week's mega mega episode of over two hours in one one episode where we talk about castilla and we talk about the players on loan and we talk about the ballon d'or and a bunch of other stuff and that happens pretty much every week we do bonus shows uh we do a loan tracker for our patrons but we also do midweek post-game shows whether it's champions league la liga upcoming Copa del rey those are only for patrons over at patreon.com slash managing madrid Sometimes we get questions like, why did you not do a post-game show for the PSG game? We did. We did. It's over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. And it goes up night of. And if you want it for your morning commutes, make sure you're a patron. Shout out to these $10 plus patrons who, uh, if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Mikhail Nilsson, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Juan Balasia01, Frederick Rantakiro, Adam Dorsey, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Essa Hariri, Ilian Zacco, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Tyler Simon, Sad Omar, Oluwapamimo Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Charles Williams, Tarek Sphere, Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Ragap Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Maridista, San Francisco Bay Area, Brandon Stevens, Casper Muscala, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Bosnicic, Rafael Servia, Karen Scherer, Sumanchu Singh, Brennan Powers, Rovi Tagiev, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Fabian Moreno, Varun, Bernard Kufour, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Faisal Hamdan, Muxi Thengal, Sergio Arispe, Graham Girard, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, and Philip Hammer. Thanks for the support, you lovely, lovely human beings. And we'll catch you next time. Hala Marit.